0: Thanks, Pastor Josh. Man, I love your pastor, uh, cherish the boys. I I, I love uh, Storyline Church. I feel like every time I'm here, you're growing, which is a good thing, right? God wants you to grow. God wants Storyline to grow. Why? So that more growth equals more worshipers of King Jesus. Amen? That's the goal. That's what we want to do. We have a lot to cover tonight. Uh, 67 verses. Pastor Josh said I have three hours, uh, but I want to be invited back, so we're going to keep it a lot shorter, okay? Um so funny, the church that that our family attends in St. Charles called Waypoint Church, and when Josh asked me, we're going through the Genesis series as well, and and Pastor Josh asked if I'd come preach, and I said, what was the text again? He said, Genesis 24. Well, just the the previous Sunday, our pastor preached Genesis 24. I said, man, I'm good. I already got the sermon going, you know? (laughs) Of course, I didn't do that. I I wanted to dig in and look at the Word of God, and uh, we're gonna talk tonight about the fact that we've been called to serve. We've been called to serve. I turned 43 years old a month ago, and it's, it's rocking my world. I can't even believe it. Some days, however, I feel much older. And uh, this past week, uh, my, my wife's been having some, some health problems. And, and uh, we actually end up taking her to the emergency room and, and on, on Thursday. And uh, she's got some gallstone problems. And uh, so we're sitting there and this nurse comes in and she begins to have this conversation. She ends up going to the same church we do. And she's like, you're, you're the campus pastor at Waypoint Winston. You guys are starting this new church. And we're like, yeah. And so we get into this big conversation. And uh, I thought most likely she was probably around my same age, maybe even a little bit older than me as we began to talk. We shook up this conversation and it turns out she is from the great state of Oklahoma. And so your pastor and I have this affinity, you're gonna to have to get over it, right? And uh, so, so, so she is from Oklahoma and I was so excited and I'm like, wow, where are you at in Oklahoma? And she said, I'm from Ada, Oklahoma. And I was like, well, that's really cool. So Ada, you wouldn't know this, Ada had this incredible high school football program back in like the 80s and 90s, right? Me and your pastor know this because we're nerds and we love this kind of stuff. And, and so I'm like, wow, that's so cool, you know? And I'm thinking we're around the same age and um, maybe she's even a little older than me, right? And I'm like, man, that's so cool. What year did you graduate? And she said, 2003. And that means I'm five years (laughs) older than her. And every time I see this white beard that I've been growing out, I think I may be a little bit older even still. I am no longer a young man. And I tell you that story because with each passing year, you come to realize some things about life. And God has been teaching me more and more that my life is not my own. That my life is actually to be for his glory and to serve others. As each calendar page flips, I am more convinced than ever that the physical world with which you and I currently reside in will be nothing like the kingdom of God. You see we live in an upside down world. The kingdom of God is upside down. What, what the world says is right, God actually says in his word is wrong. What What God says is right, the world says is wrong. And in this world, we are taught from a secular ethos that, that, that we must kick, we must scratch, we must claw, we must fight our way to the top. If you're gonna get anywhere in this life, you gotta kinda climb over other people to win and to achieve and to accomplish. But in God's kingdom, we're taught that it's actually the opposite, that it's selfless service unto God and others, that this is the path, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16 says, So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many will be called, but few are chosen. Tonight, before I say anything else, I just want to pose a question to you Do you seek to serve others, or do you seek to be served? Do you live your life looking for opportunities to to, to live open-handed, to serve God, your your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you you seek to serve a lost and and broken world Or, or do you get offended when people don't pay enough attention to your wants and your needs? As followers of Jesus Christ, we have no options other than to serve. There are many verses that command us to serve Christ, his church, and a broken, hurting world. But probably the most poignant is 1 Peter 4, verse 10. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. When, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, when, when we repent of our sins and, and turn from, from our worldliness, we turn from our wickedness and our depravity and we cast ourselves onto the grace and unto the mercies of Jesus Christ. This incredible miracle happens. The Holy Spirit invades our life. And when the Holy Spirit comes, He takes up residence in our hearts. And, and Jesus wants to live His life through us. It's, it's the greatest miracle of all time that, that what we just now sang about, that God would so love the world that He would send His Son Jesus to come and to rescue us and to redeem us. But not only would He save us, but then He would give us the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes, and he, he doesn't come just to fix us up a little bit. He doesn't come just to make suggestions. He comes to reign in our lives. He comes to control in our lives. And this is what He does he, he brings to life what was once dead, and then miraculously, He begins to give us these spiritual gifts. And they're not gifts to hoard. They're not gifts to say, well, I'll do with what I want to do with them. These gifts are given to us from God to benefit the body of Christ and to build up and serve one another. You and I have been called to serve. There are 67 verses (laughs) in this incredible chapter that we're going to look at tonight, and we we wouldn't have nearly enough time to, to unpack every single verse But but what I want us to do tonight is I want us to focus in on on what I believe in this story is an often overlooked aspect of this text. I want us to look at this text from the servant's perspective, from the servant's perspective. I was reading and, and listening to this passage over and over again this week in preparation for tonight, and several principles of servanthood just kept leaping out at me. So what I want us to do is I want us to walk through this passage and glean these truths from the way Abraham's servant carried out this directive that is oh so important. We know from chapter 15 that Abraham's servant's name is Eliezer. And so tonight I want us to learn from this man how we can be better servants of the Lord. So look with me at verse two. We're just going to jump right into this. First of all this, servants of the Lord are trustworthy. Servants of God can be trusted. Verse two, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. And then off and we're running to this story. The chapter begins in verse one with, now Abraham was old. And when I say he was old, he was 130 years old. He, he's an old cat, right? Not too many people today are, are running around that are 130 years old. And, and, and a quick Uh, cross-reference from this verse, you can see still that he's got 35 years left of his life. So so God is gonna make him old. But if you notice the back half of verse one, it says, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. In every way. In the chapters leading up to this, we see that, that God is personally and faithfully providing for and walking with Abraham leading up to our text. In Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, we see this incredible blessing, this Abrahamic blessing that is promised from God. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says, Abraham, you are going to have a great reputation. Abraham, you're going to become a great nation. There are going to be many, many descendants. God is going to bless those who bless you, and Abraham himself is going to be a great blessing to others. Could you imagine God saying that to you? Would that not light your fire and ignite you to live your life on mission and on purpose? But the greatest part of Abraham's blessing will be that at its ultimate fulfillment will be found the promise of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Christ is ultimately going to come from the lineage. Galatians chapter three, verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say in two seeds as one would in referring to many, but as referring in to one and to your seed, that is Christ. You see, this mission that Abraham is about to send Eliezer out on is quite literally spiritual life or death for countless people because ultimately the savior of the world is going to come from the lineage of Rebekah, Isaac's future wife. For such an important assignment, Abraham needed who? Notice what the text says. He doesn't go and grab the rookie off the bench. He doesn't, he doesn't go and grab the new servant that doesn't know the lay of the land. Who does he get? He gets his most trusted, oldest servant. The guy he puts in charge of this, he needed to know. The guy he puts in charge of this, he needed to trust. This man must be trustworthy. We know he was trustworthy, because the scripture tells us all of these things that he held a lot of responsibility in Abraham's household. So Abraham calls him over and he says, place your hand under my thigh. Now, when you read that text, if you're anything like me, you, you may be thinking like, man, couldn't they just kind of done a pinky swear? or something? I mean, like, doesn't that seem a little bit personal to you? Like, that's just a little much. right? <laughs> Slide that hand under the thigh but the thigh was considered the loins or actually the testicles, literally. Yeah, and the phrase under the thigh, it could actually be a euphemism for on the loins. Abraham, in other words, had been promised a seed by God and this covenantal blessing was passed on to his son and grandson. Abraham made his trusted servant swear on the seed of Abraham. That's what he's doing right there as close as he possibly can so that he would find a wife for Isaac. Hey, Eliza, no pressure, (laughs) right? No pressure. I just need you to go and find a wife for my son that's ultimately gonna bring forth the Messiah of the world. No pressure. He needed to be a trustworthy servant. I wanna ask you a question tonight. Are you a trustworthy servant of God? Can God depend on you to, to do what he's asked you to do? Can, can God depend on you to, to go to the nations? Can God depend on you to, to walk across the street to serve somebody in his name? Can God depend on you when you come into this place each week to not be selfish and consumed with what you need but to be the hands and feet of Jesus to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you a trustworthy servant tonight? I remember when the Lord first called us in the ministry. I was shocked by the amount of creative excuses that Christians could come up with to get out of serving in the church. My cat's fur needs to be groomed tonight. I can't make it, you know. Uh, it was raining outside. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say they couldn't come to a church event because of the rain. Like they were so sweet. If any rain hit them, they're just going to melt away, right? I had to make lunch for my parakeet, right? You hear all these wild excuses that people have. Maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, how I serve isn't that important. I don't have a platform ministry. I, I don't lead worship like Logan. I, I don't preach sermons like Pastor Josh. Like, like what, what I do is not that important. But can I just tell you tonight, that's a lie from the pit of hell. When you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts, he's given you those gifts to build the kingdom of God. And whether you are preaching a sermon in front of however many people, or you are wiping noses and butts in a nursery, every act is an act of service unto the Lord. If we do it in a spirit of service to God, everyone must do their part to build the kingdom. Luke 16:10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Much As I work oftentimes with, with young church planners and young leaders and, 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 and residencies and whatnot, so many guys, they want to do this. They want to preach. I want to preach. Tell me about your calling. Well, I want to preach. I want to preach. Well, that's great. Everybody that's called to, to proclaim the gospel wants to preach. But when you go to a nursing home and preach to seven elderly saints that can't get out anymore and go to a church service, Will you you go to a shut-in and just do a Bible study with him because he's lonely because his wife of 55 years just now passed away? Are you a trustworthy servant in the little things? Don't despise the small things. Are you a trustworthy servant of the Lord tonight? Can God depend on you to fulfill his calling on your life? Can your church depend on you to be trustworthy? You know, as God builds up Storyline, His heart is much bigger than just storyline. Did you know that? He wants to use this church to advance the kingdom of God all over St. Louis, the state of Missouri, and around America and the world. Do you believe that? I believe that. I'll get out of this thing. I'll stop doing this if I stop believing that God wants to use churches to multiply and build the kingdom of God. I believe God God has great plans for storyline church. You know why I tell you that tonight? It's gonna take every single member of this church to be trustworthy to build the kingdom of God. Don't, stop looking to your left. When, when are you gonna pick up the slap? Stop, stop looking to your right. When are you gonna pick up the slap? God has an assignment for you, God has a job for you. Servants of the Lord are trustworthy. Secondly, servants of the Lord take action. Servants of the Lord, take action. Look at verses 10 through 11. Then the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master and went out with the variety of good things of his masters in his hand. So he set out and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. He made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well water when it was evening, the time when women go out to draw water. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, we're told that there's a time and place for everything. In verse seven, specifically, it says that there is a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak. Elizer has proven to be trustworthy. He has his marching orders. What does he do next? He does them. He takes action. He, he, he comes before his master Abraham Abraham says, this is what I need you to do. This is the really important task. I need you to find my son, a wife. He's got his assignment. He knows his mission and he begins to put it into action. He actually puts it into action. A friend of mine preached this text like I told you last week and and he said that we waste so much time trying to figure out God's will for our lives, you know, there's a lot of young people in this room. A lot of you are in university, a lot of college students. I was a college young singles pastor moons and moons ago. <laughs> and I would talk to students and they'd say, Pastor Matt, I just, I don't, I just don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I don't know what career I'm supposed to do. I I, I don't know who I'm supposed to marry. I don't know where I'm supposed to live. Can I just tell you, we get so caught up and so wrapped up into the specific will of God that we forget about like the 90% of the time that we know the standard will of God. Where's that will found? In the book, the Holy Bible. God has showed us what his will and what his plan is for our life. We don't need to sit around trying to figure out all the details. What we really need to do is begin to put into action and obey what he's already commanded us to do. James chapter one, verses 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a, a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, I love Bible studies. I love studying the word of God. I love being in a group uh, of men or, 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 or couple's. And just open up the scripture. But, but I got to tell you, we have a problem in America. We, we think that just another Bible study is going to solve all of our problems. If I just, in other words, got some more spiritual in, intellect, then my life's just going to be so much better. And then I'll discover the will of God. So what happens? We have a lot of spiritually obese people. There's all these people. They know the Bible. They, they, they can do Bible drills like where I grew up at in the South and in Oklahoma. You know, they, they, know the, they know the Bible inside and out, Genesis to Revelation. But what have they failed to do? They're not putting it into action. We, we don't need any more evangelism training. We just need to go evangelize. We, we, we don't need another deep study on this or that. We just need to do it. We need to put into practice what God has told us and that's what is doing. He's putting by faith into practice and taking action what his master has told him to do. I wonder tonight if we're putting into action the things our master has told us to do. I wonder tonight if there's anyone in a group this size that, that you know God has been talking to you about some stuff through his word. You know he's been showing you some specific names that you need to share the gospel with. You you know he's directing your path, but you're afraid to take action. Can I just tell you, that is no way for a follower of Jesus to live. If you live afraid and nervous, even when you know the will of God, but you won't take action to do the will of God, you will never mature and you will never grow in your faith. Because sanctification is the process where the Holy Spirit makes us more like himself, And sanctification often will only happen when we get out of our comfort zone and we do difficult things that God has asked us to do. We've got to be men and women who take actions. Thirdly, servants of the Lord pray. Look at verses 12 through 14. And he said, Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, may it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, Drink, and I will water your camels also, may she be the one. Whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. He's getting really specific in this prayer request, ain't he? God, I want her to come out. I want her to, to help me, and then I want her to water the camels, which would have taken hours to do. Camels can drink hundreds of gallons of water. This is no small task that he's praying. He's given this momentous task. He goes and he travels several hundred miles to find a son, to find a wife for, for his master's son to make sure and make the right selection. So what does he do when he's faced with making the right choice? What does he do when he needs to make the right decision? He prays. He prays. Can I just confess to you tonight? Oftentimes, Prayer is not my first inclination. I praise God for what he's been doing in my life the past several years when it comes to prayer. But I, I, even coming in here tonight, driving, praying, talking to the Lord, I, you know, I'm tempted to want, I want to turn on sports radio. I want to turn on the radio. I want to, I want to break up that silence. But God keeps saying, no, talk. Let's, let's talk. Let's pray. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Do you want me? Do you want to be in my presence? Or do you want to, you want to just keep on going after all of these things that are, that are falling away someday? Prayer, when we are in moments of crisis, when we are in moments where we have to, we need God's hand, we need God's direction, it's easy to pray in those moments. When it's difficult to pray is when everything's going great. When it's difficult to pray is when we don't think we really need God. But can I let you know a little secret tonight? You and I always need God. We always need God. Without prayer tonight, fueling the worship, without prayer tonight, fueling the announcements, without prayer tonight, fueling the preaching of the word of God, we are wasting our time here tonight. Because prayer invites and ushers in the movement of the Holy Spirit of God. God. And so Eliezer, when his back is against the wall, he prays. There's a book called Opening Up Genesis. The author's name is Kurt Strasser, and he says this. Notice that not only did he pray, but he prayed specifically. He asked God for a sign, not just any sign, but a sign that accorded with biblical principles. He asked God through the sign to guide him to a woman of character. Notice that? One who had a servant's heart. And Elijah is an example of how Christians should seek the Lord's guidance in every endeavor. First, we must pray. Next, we must pray specifically for guidance. And third, we must pray for guidance that clearly matches up with what we already know from Scripture. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people will say, well, pastor, I guess all we can do is pray. Every time I hear that, I I, I think... That must be such a slap to a holy God. When we say all we can do is pray, you know why our first inclination is not to pray? You know why we say things like, well, all we can do is pray? Because we think we can do stuff apart from God. We think we're wise enough to make good choices. Eliza said, I'm not. (laughs) This is a big thing. I need God's wisdom. We don't pray as our first natural response because we are prideful. We think we can get stuff done on our own. We, we think we can plant churches on our own. We think that we can raise kids on our own. We think that we can have a great marriage on our own. We, we think that we can go to school on our own and we can live out our calling on our own. And can I just tell you today, you can, you can. That's the dangerous thing. You can preach sermons, you can raise kids, you can be a spouse, you can serve in your community, you can do it all on your own. But apart from the power of God through prayer, it will all be for naught. It'll be a waste. The Bible says that someday Everything that we do is going to come into account and that without the power and the movement of God, it will burn up like hay and stubble. Won't even matter. I don't know about you tonight. I I wanna live a life that counts. I wanna serve others and the way that God has shown me more and more and more how to do that is through prayer. When we pray, we are saying, God, I need you. I need you to save my son. I need you to strengthen my spouse. I need you. The the world believes that prayer is so silly because prayer is a humble act of declaration to God, saying that if God, you don't make a way, then there is not going to be a way. Pride keeps us from praying and it's dangerous. The Bible says in James chapter 4 6 that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Show me a prayer warrior. Show, show me a, a saint that has that, that got a life committed to prayer, and I will show you a person that follows Christ that is clothed in humility. You know, I've discovered I cannot be full of Matt Hess and the Holy Spirit at the same time. I can't. Paul says that the flesh and the spirit is constantly raging war to each other so what does that mean means that I must consistently and regularly yield to the authority and to the power of God in my life see if you hear this tonight and you say, man that's right I need to I need to go and pray more you won't get far but if moment by moment you continuously yield to God he wants you to talk to him he wants you to be in his presence he will equip you to pray. I have a 15-year-old son, Gavin, right now. I'm teaching how to drive. And man, I think that's where all the gray in my beard's coming from. And uh, he's getting it down, though, man. He's getting it down. But, but the thing he struggles with is, like, pulling out on, into traffic. And there's this little sign when you come out of neighborhoods and side streets. It's triangular. It says, Yield. Now, why is that sign there? Because if you don't yield, you're going to get smacked. You're going to get hit by a car. You know what we do oftentimes as Christ followers? John chapter 15, verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We don't take God at his word. We think, well, apart, that means that apart from you, I can do some stuff. No, it means we can do nothing. And so what am I getting at? When we don't yield to the vine. When we don't yield to the master's control and authority in our lives. When we don't take every thought captive, when we don't serve others, when we are selfish instead of being selfless, when we when we don't listen to that small still voice of the Holy Ghost in our life saying, "Don't do that, don't go there, don't say that, stop talking." Can I get a witness? And we don't yield What happens? We pull out into traffic in our flesh and we get smacked. Our relationships are misaligned. We do and say things that hurt other people. We're messed up. We've gotta yield to God in prayer. Eliza's first inclination is to pray. Why? Because he doesn't wanna mess this thing up. We don't pray because we're scared. God, I don't want to mess this up or whatever. God is sovereign. He is gracious. He's good. But we pray because we know that we need God's direction. And we want to be aligned in his will. Servants of the Lord pray. Servants of the Lord are trustworthy. Servants of the Lord take action. Servants of the Lord pray fourthly tonight. Servants of the Lord wait on God. They wait on God. Verse 21 says, Meanwhile, the man was taking a close look at her in silence to find out whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. Now, in, in the verses before this, in 15 through 20, she's the one. She's the one. She, all the things that he had just prayed for come true. She's like, yes, come and drink. I'll water your camels. And Eliza's like, hold up now. You mean that prayer worked? That prayer worked, right? But what does he do? Nothing. He doesn't jump to conclusions. He doesn't get out ahead of God. And this verse is fascinating to me. Because everything within me, typically, as a type A person, I want to go, 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 go. I don't know if there's anyone else like that in this room. But I have a tough time being still before God. I have a tough time. Eliezer had traveled this incredible distance. He prayed specifically for God to provide a sign that Rebecca was the right wife for Isaac. She actually fulfills the sign. She does everything that he just prayed for. What has God done? He's answered his prayer. And yet, he waits. Why? I think for two reasons. I think, number one, he's just in awe. You did it. Have you ever been there night? Anyone in the room? God, if you don't save that person, like they're not gonna be saved. The Holy Spirit, save that person, and He does, and you're just like, wow, He did it. God, heal that person. They need a physical touch. If it's your will, would you heal that person? And He does it, and you're just in awe. God, you did it. This morning I was thinking about my salvation. God didn't owe me a thing, but he did it. It still makes me in awe. I don't ever want to get over that. He sits there and he's just in awe of God's goodness. Secondly, I I think he wants to make sure that he is not presuming on God. That he's not just kind of like getting in his head and, and, and just thinking God's doing something he's not doing. So he patiently waits. Can I tell you tonight, we live in a breakneck speed society, don't we? Faster and faster and faster and faster. We live in a microwave society. I mean, we we, we can't get something quick. It's insane. It's insane. We we lived in Toronto for 11 years and they started doing, we were one of the test cities where they started doing the drone deliveries. I mean, crazy town. Like, are we in the year 2024? I mean, even saying 2024 sometimes feels like it's really like 2069 or 70 or something like that. It just feels like we're in the future right now. I see my boys and the apps and the things they're talking to me about. I feel so old. I'm like, this is crazy. Can we just go back to MySpace? I mean, it seems so safer. (laughs) Right? Right? Crazy. We live in such a fast society. Do this. Do that. Get this done. Get that done. Achieve. Accomplish. Go, 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 go. But what does the Bible say about the pace of our lives and what our lives should be? Lamentations 3.25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. We've lost that in the church. Somebody's always gotta be talking. Talking. If we're in a small group and we're in a prayer space and and if somebody stops praying, then we just instantly assume that that person is done praying and somebody else will jump in. But in reality, maybe the Holy Spirit's talking to them and showing them something that's for everybody in the room. But we're so uncomfortable with silence, we don't even know what to do. Like, somebody's gotta be talking. Somebody's gotta be making noise. Lamentations 3.25 says, To the soul who seeks him, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. The 27th Psalm, verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31, all the, the, the Christian coffee mugs and journals that the old Lifeway stores used to have, Right, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. But how does that text start? But they that wait upon the Lord. If we have truly done what Elijah has done here, if we've prayed and left our lives in God's hands, then we must be patient and wait on the Lord. Uh, often you will hear well-meaning Christians, even pastors. I, I'm in rooms with pastors all the time. I love my brothers. But man, I am Fearful that there is this, the world is, is, is penetrating the life of the church and the way we think and the way we lead and the way we serve. And, and, and you hear all, all this talk, we, we gotta get this done. We gotta make this happen. We gotta make that happen. But friends, while the world says you gotta kick down that door, you know what Jesus says? I'm gonna open that door. But I'm gonna open it in my time I'm gonna open it according to my will. And oh yeah, the door that you think that you're gonna kick down in my name, I don't even want that door kicked down. So go ahead, kick down that door and you're gonna do all kinds of stupid stuff with your life. But don't blame it on me. We, 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 we act like fools and then we blame it on God. Can I get a witness? Fifthly tonight, servants of the Lord worship. They worship. Verses 26 through 27, then the man bowed low I love that. I love that. Then the man bowed low. Why? What is that posture? You can pray any way, but why sometimes? Have you ever been just praying and you're maybe in your house or you're somewhere, you're in your office or your room and you begin to pray and you just, you just feel, I was in worship this morning, I felt the inclination just to get on my knees. You ever feel that way? Just need to get on your knees I remember a few years ago, I was praying in my office in Toronto, and I just felt that way. I need to get on my knees. And I felt like the Lord said, it's not low enough. And I remember I just, I got as flat as I could. I'm just laying in my office. Somebody probably would have thought I was a psychopath. If they walked in, I didn't care. It was just a holy moment. I wanted to get low Because when we get low and we get on our knees, sometimes that posture helps us connect to the heart of God and what He's trying to communicate to us. That that spirit, that that posture, it's a symbol of humility. That's why Elijah bowed low. And what does he do? He worships God. (laughs) Guess I'm pretty smart after I picked the right one. (laughs) No, he worships the Lord. He gives credit where credit is due. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and his trustworthiness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. You know what I want to live? I want to live a life of worship. I, I, don't, I don't want to just, you know, people, when I used to pastor in the deep South, everybody always had something to complain about the music, Ah, oh, it's too traditional, it's too contemporary. They don't have a clue what contemporary was. But anyways, <laughs> Maranatha songs from the early 90s is not contemporary, but anyways, I may have some PTSD from those conversations. But everybody's got an opinion about me. You know what always blew my mind about that? Is this the only time you're singing to God? Is this the only time you're worshiping to God for 20 minutes in these four songs, maybe, is that the only time you're worshiping God? Because you can sing whatever style of worship music you want to do. But when we come together as a body of Christ, it's not about you, it's about us coming together ultimately because it's about Him. I want to live a life of worship. You never notice how easy it is to, to worship God when things are really, really hard? You know, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a difficulty, you have a sick child, you have a wayward marriage, you have a wayward relationship, whatever it might be, whatever you're going through, you have a money problem. You ever notice how easy it is to worship God? It's easy. Why? Because in that moment, you're vulnerable. You need something from God, right? Man, you're on Google, Even looking up songs in your problem, trying to figure out like things that you can worship and praise God for, you're in the thick of the fight, and Satan has on this full frontal attack. You're you're doing anything you can to connect to the heart of God and to worship God. But you know what is so wild? Often when we pray to the Lord and He answers our prayer, we're just like awesome, thanks God. We move on with our lives. Hey, moms and dads in the room. How much does it hurt when your kid just wants to hang out with you because they want something from you? Like if you got little kids right now, sometimes you may not experience that because they want to always be with you and love you. But when you get teenagers and they want to come and like cuddle up next to you, especially like when it's your 16-year-old son (laughs) and, and you're like, okay, hey, what do you want, right? What if the only time you truly worship the Father is when you wanted something from him. Isn't that sad? Don't pray and then God answers and just move on. Take time to worship him. Finally tonight, servants of the Lord must remain focused. We must remain focused. Rebecca runs home and she tells her family about everything that's just happened, this encounter. And she has this brother named Laban. And Laban's a weasel, the text really tells us. He invites Eliezer and his men to come in and eat and fellowship. But in verse 33, when the food comes out, Abraham's servant, Eliezer, he says, listen, I'm not eating until I tell you my business and how it's going to go down. But when the food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I've told my business. And Laban said, speak on. They're like, okay, so he retells his encounter with Rebecca and his assignment from Abraham. He gets to the end and in verse 49, he straight up says to them, listen, you're either going to deal with me truthfully or we're going to head on back to the house. I'm not gonna play any games with you, Laban. And they say, oh, okay, okay, like chill, relax, <laughs> Take take Rebecca and return with her to your master. But then they sleep on it. And in verse 55, they say, hey, let her stay an extra few days. Say like 10 days. And then she can go with y'all. What is Eliza's response? What does he say to them? In verse 56, he remains focused on his mission. He simply says, don't delay me. It's time to go. I had an assignment from my master. I fulfilled the mission. You already gave me permission. Let me take her back. He said, I'm not here to play games with you. You see, he knew what he had come there for. He didn't come there to eat. He didn't come there to fellowship. He didn't come there for anything else except for one thing, to bring a wife back to Isaac. That was his assignment. Friends, I fear today that we have lost our focus. We are a distracted bunch. When I see, I mean, I'm about to get off of Twitter. When I see the things that pastors think they have to engage with, and and everybody wants their opinion on this political commentator or and this political situation or this social issue, we are distracted. All the while, we're going to get in our cars tonight. We're going to go home to, to our home, and we're going we're to pass countless people that are going to bust the gate to hell wide open because they don't know Jesus. But we're consumed with things that are so trivial. We've lost our focus. You say, Matt, what's our focus? It's to make disciples. It's to make disciples that will make disciples that will make disciples, that more and more and more and more people would bow the knee to King Jesus. First, I wanna encourage you tonight. Live your life as a servant before God with laser-like focus. If you have been called to be a mother, raise your children in the ways of Christ and be focused on what you're doing every single day, day in and day out. If you're, a, if, if you're a construction worker, God has called you to be an influence on that job site day in and day out. It's hard labor, I get it. It's hard manual work, but go in there day in and day out, focused to get people to Jesus Christ and to bring glory to God. If you're a student, go into your class. Don't, don't show up late to your classes all the time. Be there, be attentive, be alert. Let the teacher say there's something different about him, there's something different about her. Be a change, be a difference. Stay focused. Well, they release Rebecca. She comes. In verses 62 through 67, it says, Now Isaac had come from going to Roy, for he was living in the Negev. And Isaac goes out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes. This is beautiful. When she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? Isn't that cool? She she clearly liked what she saw. She clearly liked what she saw. She's like, stop these camels. Stop the car. She gets off and she asks the servant, who's this guy? What does the servant say? The servant said, he is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and he took Rebecca and she became his wife and he loved her. Thus, Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Tonight, as we begin to close, can, can I let you in on a secret that I'm not sure if you knew this or not. We're selfish people. Matter of fact, the longer I live and the, the closer I, I get to Jesus, the more I realize how selfish a person I am and what I'm capable of doing. You hear that, maybe you're a little offended by that. Maybe you're like, what? Me? You don't even know me. You know how many little old ladies I walk across the street every week, Matt? You know how I can say that? I can say that because the Bible tells us this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should Look, not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Why is Paul telling the church at Philippi not to be selfish? Why is he saying, don't be selfish? Why is he saying, walk in humility? Hey, consider others first. You know why he's saying that? Because we all have a tendency to not do those things. Just just think on any given day, how much of your thoughts are consumed about you? Oh man, I have to deal with this situation at work tomorrow. Tomorrow's Monday. I have to do this. Oh man, I have to get this done. Oh man, I wish I didn't have this physical ailment going on. Oh man, I have this problem. Oh man, what am I going to eat tonight for dinner? Oh man, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about that? I, I, I. Our thought life is often consumed by ourselves. So what's the answer? There's gotta be an answer. Look at verse five of Philippians chapter two. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. It is impossible to serve the Lord apart from the Lord. Did you hear what I just said? It is impossible to serve the Lord apart from the Lord. And tonight, Jesus was trustworthy, all the way to the cross. Jesus took action, fulfilling the ministry that his father had given to him. Jesus saw the necessity to constantly get away and pray to his father. If Jesus knew that he had to escape from the crowds and the chaos and spend time with his father, how much more do I need to pray? Jesus waited on his father's timing for all matters. How many times were the disciples like, now, now, now? He's like, chill out, wait. Jesus waited. Jesus regularly participated in worship at his synagogue. Jesus lived for 33 years in this world with laser-like focus for the mission that he was called to redeem this world. Jesus, you see, is our ultimate example of servanthood. Don't leave here tonight and say, man, I'm a bad person. I gotta start serving people. If if you hear that tonight, you're, you're not hearing the gospel. The gospel declares you are a bad person, but praise God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He comes and he redeems and he restores and he makes what is broken whole, amen? He makes us new tonight is not about man I feel bad I don't serve enough I don't do this enough I don't do that enough Christianity is not about doing Christianity is about Jesus living his life through us and it is through the example of Christ as the ultimate suffering servant so that we could be set free from the bondage of our sin in which we live our lives on purpose and so tonight I want to close with the words of Jesus Christ Matthew chapter 20 verses 28: "The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve." The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many." Would you just in the room, would you just close your eyes everywhere around the room tonight? Whatever posture you want to take just to get quiet with the Lord. Right, right, right now in just the stillness of this moment, if, if you've repented of your sins, you've trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, right now in this moment, would you just praise him? Would you go back to the moment where where the Holy Spirit convicted you and showed you your need for a savior? Would you praise God right now? Tell Jesus, thank you for coming to serve you. Thank you for coming to pay a ransom that you could never pay. Thank God for salvation. Maybe you're in this room tonight and you want to do what's right, you you want to live a selfless life, but you are consumed with self. Maybe you are consumed with self because you've never trusted in Christ. You've never had a time in your life where God has showed you the need to be born again. The Bible says that, that even right now, that if you believe in your heart that Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross and paid a debt that you and I owed and rose from the dead three days later, if you believe that in your heart and profess that with your mouth, you shall be saved. Today, if you've never done that, cry out to God. Cast yourselves on his mercies and then talk to a leader afterwards, talk to a friend afterwards, tell them what you've done.